Hey, thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace, it is our full conviction that as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and for correction and for reproof and for training in righteousness. We are committed to teaching the whole counsel of God that the people of God might be built up and that lost sinners might come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to start in 1 Peter 1 this morning, and uh, as you already know, because we're doing more of a topical series, uh, we'll be jumping around a bit, but we will start in 1 Peter chapter 1, and reading, uh, starting at verse 1, and just down to um, about verse 9. And can I invite you to stand once again? Sorry, you just sat down as we read from the Word of God together. I'd like to make you sit and (laughs) keep the circulation moving before uh, we look at God's Word. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispensation in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And let us go once again to the Lord asking his help as we, as we look at his word um, and try to understand what is written. Father, we come before you uh, rejoicing that uh, we have not been left as orphans at the ascension of Christ, but that the helper was given, the comforter, of peace, your Holy Spirit, and Lord, that he would guide us into all truth, that he would continue to to help us to understand the truths of your scripture, and Lord, to apply them to our lives so that we would bear fruit, um, Lord, in keeping with repentance. And we ask now that you would help us to be attentive to your word, Lord, that our thoughts and minds would not be wandering or distracted, that we would, Lord, listen uh, with ears to hear and with eyes to see. And Lord, that you would conform us to Christ. And Lord, if there are unbelieving hearts here this morning, that you would create faith by your Spirit in their hearts. And Lord, that they would look upon Christ with saving faith. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. Thank you. So this morning, uh, Lord willing, we will conclude our study of the five doctrines of grace using the TULIP acronym as has been uh, historically used, even though we've already talked, some of the, the terms or labels that are given to the various doctrines can potentially be misleading, and so sometimes there's better ways to describe them, um, you know, instead of limited atonement, perhaps definite atonement or particular atonement. We talked about irresistible grace, um, how maybe effectual grace or sovereign grace would be a, a clearer way to uh, talk about those doctrines. But we come last week to the final letter in the, uh, the TULIP acronym, which is the P, standing for Perseverance of the Saints. Perseverance of the Saints. And we, we looked at, first of all, um, a misconception that is often associated with assurance, um, oftentimes phrased something like eternal security or uh, once saved, always saved. And the misconception is that the salvation uh, and the assurance is based upon something that we have done. And as long as we have gone through a certain act, like praying a prayer or walking an aisle or getting baptized, that we look to that as our source of assurance and uh, the fact that we can have confidence that we are in fact saved. But that's really not the biblical doctrine of the perseverance of the saints at all. Um, Rather, it is this continuing on this this persevering in grace um, that is going to be true of the Christian. Those who are truly born of the Spirit, the Scriptures teach, will persevere, not because we have done something, but because God has done something. And uh, I read a, a little quote by uh, Michael Horton and uh, was, was just very helpful and, and, and concise says the believer's perseverance is guaranteed by God's perseverance. And that really captures the essence of this doctrine. We do not persevere because of our own will, because of our own cleverness, our own decision, or, our, or the, the word of a pastor or of an evangelist that has pronounced us saved. No, we persevere because God perseveres. And our perseverance is guaranteed by the fact that God will persevere with us. And in us, and so we looked at, uh, began looking at four truths of perseverance from the scriptures. We saw from John six that the perseverance of the Christian, um, our assurance is first of all rooted in election. It's rooted in God's electing grace. Jesus said that all whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will raise him up on the last day. The fact that we are kept, that we are we are secure is because God has elected us unto salvation. He has given us to the Son. Therefore, the Son keeps all whom the Father has given. And he says he loses none of them. So so that is the first place we must look if we are to understand assurance. And secondly, we looked at last week that that our perseverance and our security as Christians is secondly rooted in the eternal covenant, the covenant of grace, this agreement between the Father and the Son, which we see in John 6, we see in the high, high priestly prayer, we see throughout the scriptures that before the foundations of the world were laid, that the Father had purposed to redeem a people in Christ. And this is sometimes referred to as the covenant of grace, 
or the covenant of redemption. And depending on, you know, maybe different nuances, they'll use different phrasing. But it is this eternal covenant between the Father and the Son to redeem a people, to justify a people, to sanctify a people, to glorify a people. And our assurance rests there in the commitment between the Father and the Son and the Spirit to keep us and to finish the work that he has begun in us. Um, It's very important to understand that covenant. You know, there are covenants like the Mosaic Covenant that are structured a little differently in that um, God covenants with Israel at Mount Sinai and they are to walk in obedience. They are to uphold the law. And God says, if you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, I will curse you. And we see that um, sadly the people of Israel disobeyed. They broke that covenant. And as a result, the branch of Israel was severed from the tree. But that is not so with the covenant of grace. It is not a covenant where we maintain it by our obedience. Rather, it is a covenant between the Son and the Father and the Spirit. And therefore, it is is, um, regarded as an eternal covenant. It cannot be broken. It is secure because God is faithful. It's rooted in the attributes of God. He is a faithful God. He, is, he keeps his promises. He finishes what he starts. He does not change. And because those are true, we are secure in Christ. And then thirdly, we looked at last week that the perseverance of the saints must be preceded by a true conversion. Um, perseverance can only be true of those who have been born again. And so if we misunderstand salvation, if we make salvation something different than what the scriptures tell us it is, then we're not going to understand assurance. And uh, I thought of an example this past week of this. Well, two weeks ago, maybe, we were trying to sell our house in Grand Prairie, as some of you know, and we're we're praying with us regarding that. And uh, the realtor had text me and said, well, it looks like it's going through. There's been a, a word, the, the bank has told the customer that the financing is there and the house is sold. And so I was relieved. I was grateful that this house was no longer going to be uh, a, a, something to manage in Grand Prairie. And then after we were talking to the lawyer, he's like, well, actually, um, we haven't got the legal paperwork from the bank yet. So yes, there's been a verbal confirmation, but we haven't actually got the legal papers we need to, to officially say it's sold. And you see, I had a sense of, of uh, assurance, if you will, based upon a false understanding of the sale. I misunderstood all the things that were necessary to complete it. And so my assurance, my, my, my uh, rejoicing in the sale of the property was, was on really based on nothing. Um, As you understand salvation, that it is this turning from sin. It is where the Spirit of God comes within and and, and faith is created. And we are are made a new creature in Christ. And as a result, we begin professing faith in Christ. We begin repenting of sin. Where we once hunger and thirsted for the things of this world, we now hunger and thirst for righteousness. And where the Word of God was once dry and boring and and useless to us, now it is life. It It is true bread and true drink. And these things begin manifesting in the Christian's life because there's been an internal change. If you understand that is what happens in salvation, then your assurance can also be properly understood. And, uh, And so, fourthly, this morning we're going to look at um, that 
the perseverance of the saints does not mean we will be walking in perfection, but rather continuing in repentance and faith. So fourthly, perseverance does not mean we will walk in perfection, but rather we will continue in repentance and faith. And that's very important to understand regarding this doctrine. It is not about being perfect in all that we say and do and think. Um, Rather, it is this continuing, this persevering in repentance and faith. The 1689 Baptist Confession um, has this as one of the paragraphs on this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. They said that regarding the Christian, they may fall into grievous sins and continue in them for a time due to the temptation of Satan and the world. The strength of corruption remaining in them. Um, and the, the world and the strength of corruption remaining in them. And the neglect of means of their perseverance. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit. Their graces and comforts become impaired. Their hearts are hardened and their consciousness wounded. They hurt and scandalize others and bring temporary judgments on themselves. But here, here's the key. Listen to this. Nevertheless... They will renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. A lot of people's understanding of assurance like to leave out that last sentence and say, well, I was there when, I don't know, I keep saying little Johnny. It's the only name that I feel is neutral enough to use. I was there when little Johnny prayed to receive Christ. And even though there was no evidence of his faith beyond that point, I know that he is going to be in heaven. I know he's going to be with Jesus. Well, that is a false understanding of what this doctrine is, what the scriptures teach. There will be a returning to Christ. There will be a repentance that comes. It might be years down the road, but they will return to Christ um, because God does not abandon his children to sin. So... As an example of this, we read from Peter, First uh, Peter, and we, we see that Peter reminding the Christians that are scattered abroad, these elect exiles as he calls them, he reminds them of our salvation that we have, as he said, been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that this inheritance that we've been brought into in verse 4 is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. And then he talks about our perseverance in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. And this is the key, that while we are going to persevere, um, and we may stumble and fall at times and, and, and sin, the, the reason that we will come back, we will carry on in the faith, is that we are being guarded by God's power through faith. And therefore, we will persevere. And Peter is a wonderful example of this. You think of Peter who's writing this letter of encouragement to the Christians, and Peter's own story um, And I think we can all relate to Peter. At times he is bold, he is 
He is fierce. He is getting out of boats onto a raging sea. Or, and he's walking to Jesus and, 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 and in a sense saying, Lord, if it's you, then, then let me come out and walk. And Peter gets out of the boat and begins walking. But then as he looks around and he sees the storm crashing around him, he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. I'm going to drown. And, and Jesus uh, pulls him up and, and delivers him out of his situation. And what a picture of, of this Christian's perseverance we see constantly in Peter. Though the, at times his faith is vibrant and, and very much alive, other times it is failing and weak and it is look, looking like he's going to, to perish and the Lord Jesus reaching down and pulling him back up. And we think of Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed um, even after the great profession of faith, we saw in John 6 that, that where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And yet, um, a few days later, Peter would be standing around a fire in a courtyard. And a young girl would ask him if, she, if he was associated with Jesus. And he would curse and he would say, no, absolutely not. I, I'm not. I don't even know this Jesus that you're talking about. Now, if you were to look at Peter in that moment... If you were to be, you know, kind of a fly on the wall and you were to see Peter deny the Lord Jesus Christ, you would probably think there's no way that man is a Christian. There's no way that man is a true follower of Jesus Christ. He just denied him in his greatest time of need. When Jesus most desperately needed the, the help of his disciples in prayer and encouragement, they forsook him and some even betrayed him completely to his face like Peter. But the glorious truth is, and we see this in the life of Peter, is that Jesus tells Peter, though Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, I have prayed for you, Peter. And when you are restored, strengthen your brothers. And we see what happens, this persevering grace at work in the life of Peter. Though he deny the Lord Jesus Christ, though he curse and swear that he not know Jesus, he runs out from that place and he weeps bitterly, we're told. And Peter is broken over his sin. He is grieved. Though moments later we would have said, there's no way that man is a Christian. And if he was a Christian, he has lost his salvation, you know, would be the, the I guess, the Armenian. Uh, conclusion that maybe he was saved and now he's not saved but we know that because he was truly a disciple of Christ because he truly was given to the son by the father he perseveres and we see what happens Peter repents he confesses his sin and upon hearing from the women that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead Peter runs to the tomb knowing that he must be reconciled to his Savior. And one of my favorite pictures of Peter, again, is, is as, as we see Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John, the disciples, uh, I guess, have gone back to fishing. You know, that's what they know. Jesus isn't around. They're not quite sure what to do. Well, let's go fish. Let's go, let's go make a few dollars. And so they're out there on the lake, and they haven't caught anything. And, and then this man on the shore calls out and says, Hey, have you got anything? And, you know, it's that insulting question after fishing for a long time and, and catching nothing. And someone has the audacity to ask if you've got anything. And it's like, oh, yeah, thanks for rubbing this in. We haven't got anything. And then Jesus tells them, well, why don't you throw your net onto the other side? And you imagine them at this point thinking, wait a minute, this has happened before. Someone before has told us to cast our net on the other side. And sure enough, they do it again. They cast their net over and, and, and the nets are breaking with fish. 
And the disciples rejoice. It's the Lord. And they begin rowing to shore. Peter jumps overboard and starts swimming to Christ. And it's this picture of the persevering grace of God at work in Peter. And he swims to shore ahead of the other disciples. And it is there that three times Jesus confirms with Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he restores Peter. And later we see that Peter would boldly preach the gospel. In fact, when, when as, as um, tradition tells us, it's not recorded in the scriptures, but when Peter was coming near his time of execution and was told that he was going to be executed by crucifixion, uh, tradition says that Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord died. And so they crucified Peter upside down and he, he died a martyr's death for the same Lord that maybe months before he denied. And we see the persevering grace of God at work in these men. And Peter, before his departure, knowing his time is near, writes to the Christians, you are kept by the power of God. You are guarded through faith. Rejoice. Have assurance. Have peace. Know that God is not going to forsake you after having redeemed you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a comfort these words have been to generations of Christians. So there is a sense in which, and this is also helpful, um, I know Pastor Phil Newton a few weeks back at Dale reminded us of this as well, that as we talk about being saved, um, there is a sense in which we need to know we are saved, we are justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, But when we talk about our perseverance, this continuing in faith and repentance, there is a sense in which we are also being saved. That we are currently, right now, even as you are here this morning, and we are singing songs about the gospel, and we are hearing the word, and we are praying together, that there is a sense in which we are persevering together. We are being saved through the means of God's grace to us. And we think of the, the, the ordinances that God has given of, of baptism. And uh, next week we'll plan to partake of communion together. And, and as we do these things, these are means of God's grace that help us, that enable us to persevere. And in that sense, we are being saved. And they, we know there is coming a day when we will be saved. When, when the great um, consummation of God's kingdom will be complete and Christ will return and the new heavens and the new earth will be manifest and all things will be glorified and in that day we will be saved in the final sense. So in many ways as we persevere we are becoming what we are as Piper has put it. We are becoming what we are in Christ. That is what our perseverance is about and um, we continue being Conformed to the image of Christ, transformed, as Paul says, by the renewing of our mind. There's uh, some scriptures that, that are so helpful that we find in the New Testament. Um, Hebrews 10:14 is, is one that I, I know I've referenced before, and I come back to. We see both of these realities at work, not only our salvation, but our persevering grace, our sanctification at work. And uh, the author of Hebrews. Um, tells us in, in verse 14 of chapter 10, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so there's a sense in which you as a Christian are perfect. You are righteous. You are justified before God. Nothing can change that. 
Because if you are in Christ, then the Father looks not at your sin, but upon the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to you. And Christ on the cross took away your sin and your shame. But there is also a sense in which we are being saved. We are being sanctified. We are going to persevere in the faith by the power of God. Um, the scriptures are full of, of this kind of language. Um, Paul, we, we looked a bit at, at Peter, uh, 2 Timothy 1.12. Some of these wonderful verses that show us that we are going to persevere by God's enabling. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, after talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard it until that day what has been entrusted to me. This guarding of God, this protecting of God, of not only the gospel, but of us who have been born again. And maybe uh, one of my favorites as well, 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul writes, If we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And there you see it, that, that the reason that we are kept is not because of our great faith, not because of our willpower. It is because God is faithful. And even when we are faithless, even when we struggle and fall and we sin and we, we, we become angry at our children, we, we belittle our wives, we, we lie or we, we look at things that we shouldn't look, that we can come back and confess our sins and we know that the Lord is not going to forsake us because He cannot deny Himself. And so... As we consider the application of this reality that our perseverance doesn't mean we will walk in perfection, but we will, we will walk in repentance and faith, we will continue, we will be kept, it does mean that we need to be slow to condemn someone as unsaved or not a child of God. We must be careful in how we label someone who maybe professes Christ or at one time did and, and maybe currently isn't, we must be slow to condemn them as unsaved or not a child of God. Why? Because we understand that there is the possibility of a season of backsliding, a season where they are, are hardening their hearts against Christ. But if they are truly converted, then they will return and God will restore them. And so we need to be careful that we don't throw around um, loss too quickly in regards to someone who at one time maybe professed faith. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that we can't warn one another when we see someone walking in sin. And uh, I think with the, uh, much of the, I guess, the view I had for m much of my growing up years of eternal security was that if someone had pray to receive Jesus Christ, that you never have the right to question their salvation or to confront them with the possibility that they might be lost. But, but that's not right either. We see in the scriptures that we are to confront the sinner firmly and we can say things like, if you don't repent, you will be lost and condemned to hell. 
Many would say, well, how dare you say that? How dare you threaten me with hell? I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. I was baptized. I cannot go to hell. But you see, if you understand that perseverance means we will finally walk in repentance and faith, we will return to Christ, we will not stay indefinitely in sin, then we can confront somebody walking in sin with the seriousness of the consequence if they do not repent. If they abide in sin, if they refuse to repent, then we have every reason to believe they have actually not been converted. Though we are careful to label them as such, as to to make that definite statement, we certainly should warn them that if you continue cheating on your spouse and after being confronted by about this issue or you continue living in adultery and though you have been confronted, you are not repenting, then I am right to say you could be in danger of hell. You are, you are living as an unbeliever. You are, you are causing me to think you have never actually tasted and seen the Lord is good. You have not truly been born again because your life is indicating as such. And we warn them and we come to them with a firm um, admonition to repent and to believe. Otherwise, we make Jesus a liar. If somebody thinks they can be a Christian and yet remain in sin... Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. And so we tell someone, if you don't renounce the godless fruit coming from your life, then I am right to label you as a dead tree. Um, And if the person is truly of God, they will repent. It might be through that word, that, that, that admonition to return to Christ, to flee away from this sin. It's going to condemn your soul to hell if you do not Turn from it. it. It may be the very word that God uses to restore them to faith. And even if they're not converted, then we are, we are confronting them with the gospel, with the law and what it means if they will not return to Christ, repent and believe upon him. Um, this is why I prefer the term perseverance of the saints over eternal security, because it, it reminds us that there must be this persevering, this pressing on in the faith. Um, this is why John would write in, uh, in 1 John 1.5 regarding people who seem to be Christians and yet departed. Um, he said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And even later in in 1 John 2.19, we see Paul, uh, sorry, John, again, in reference to this doctrine of perseverance, the necessity for the Christian to remain walking in repentance and faith. He says in 1 John 2.19, and I know you're familiar with this verse, he says that regarding those who, who have turned from Christ, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain they, they, that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And so, so you see that 
if there comes a time when somebody turns their back on the Lord Jesus Christ, they depart from the body of Christ, they refuse to, to fellowship with Christians, they, they, they have no love for the word of God, that there is likely a chance that they were never converted. They were never truly of God. Otherwise, they wouldn't have left, John says. Which is in the negative, in the positive, you could say, those who are truly of God abide with the people of God. Do you see? There is a direct connection between our persevering and the genuineness of our faith. Now, we might think, well, what about those who go through the motions, um, you know, that that they come to church and they they tithe and they sing and maybe even in teaching positions. um, What about... How do we discern? What about those type of people that, that uh, then walk away from the faith? And uh, we see this sadly many times. Even preachers after serving a church for years, all of a sudden one Sunday announce that they have now decided that atheism is the, the, the true uh, worldview and that they are no longer going to be identified as a Christian and they turn their back and they walk out. Um, R.C. Sproul made the helpful distinction between the church visible and the church invisible. And this isn't, this isn't talking about the, the, the global body of Christ. This is, within any given church, there are going to be people who are there visibly. We see one another. And as far as we know, we are Christians. But the invisible church are those who are present, who are actually born again. They have actually been converted and In every church, you're going to have a mixture. We know the parable of the wheat and the tares. There are wheat and there are tares, and we can't always quickly discern the difference, but the Lord knows, and at times there will be a departing, indicating they were never of God. Um, We know the, the imagery of a tree. You know, you might ask, well, why did John threaten the Pharisees with being cut off or their roots being severed is that not a picture of losing salvation? Is that not a picture of, of them being of God and then not being of God? And we see that language used uh, not only of the nation of Israel, but Paul in Romans 10, 11 tells us as Gentiles that we've been grafted into this, this vine and that if we do not continue in faith, we too will be severed. And someone would say, well, look at that. Doesn't that mean we can lose our salvation? Well, you must understand that that every tree has living branches and dead branches. And God will certainly prune off the dead branches. And this is why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 6 talks about those who have tasted of the goodness of God, who have experienced somewhat of the, the enlightening of God, and yet they are then lost. It is not this person being saved and then being lost, what is happening is they are externally a part of the body. They are visibly a part of the people of God. They may partake of communion. They may have been baptized. They experience the means of grace from God. And yet having never been truly joined to the tree, drawing the life-giving sap from the tree, they will be severed. And so we need to have those distinctions in our mind um, and, and this is exactly what John is talking about. Those who depart, um, it is an indication that they were not truly of God. So, as we close and, and uh, thinking of this wonderful doctrine, this doctrine that gives us so much comfort that, that our perseverance 
is guaranteed by God's perseverance and that we will not necessarily walk in perfection, that we will sin, we will stumble, we will fall, but the true Christian will rise again. He will return to Christ. He will repent. And that we are ultimately kept by God. Um, And that we need to remind ourselves often that this persevering grace is rooted in God's electing grace. It's rooted in the covenant between the Son and the Father. And that it is for those who have been truly converted. And so we need to communicate salvation clearly and the gospel clearly. And we need to use discernment with one another and with our children. And and reading the scriptures, reading 1 John. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does the Christian's life look like? So that we can then understand this doctrine of the perseverance correctly. So if you're here this morning and you've never began the race of faith, I urge you to turn from your sin, to confess your sin to God, and to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He will deliver you if you will call upon Him. That you will not experience the keeping of God, the perseverance of God, unless you are willing to humble yourself and confess your need of a Savior. Confess your sin before Him. And so... I urge you this morning, if you have not done that, then confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can experience what what Peter is talking about, being brought into this, this inheritance that is undefiled, that is kept in heaven for you. I also encourage you, if you have not put on... The sign of baptism, one of these means of grace that God has given, the the, the covenant sign of entrance into the new covenant to be baptized, to follow in that step of obedience that Christ commanded that we be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it's not something that that we just do um, because it's a religious activity. We do it out of obedience to Christ and in identifying with Christ. And uh, I encourage you in that. And I will leave you then with Paul's words that he wrote to the Philippians in 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we rejoice that it is God who's at work in us. And may we seek him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will close. Father, we thank you that you have purpose to display your kindness and grace to, to the human race, Lord. And we know that we will never understand what caused you to show us mercy instead of wrath, to show us grace and kindness instead of pure justice, Lord, but we are grateful um, that the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself. As we sang, Lord, that he, he left us, set aside his crown to deliver our souls, that he became a man, that he walked under the yoke of the law in perfect obedience, that he went to Calvary willingly, laying down his life for all those who call upon him. And God, we pray that that we would live lives that are honoring to you. Help us to persevere, Lord, that your spirit would work mightily in us and that we would be quick to confess sin 
that there would be a sense of fear and trembling as we work out the salvation, Lord, knowing that if we do not persevere, Lord, then we have no claim of ever being part of Christ's body, that you would help us to finish this race of faith and to, Lord, rejoice on that day when Christ comes and all things are glorified and, Lord, sin is cast out forever and we experience uh, the fullness of our salvation, Lord. And we pray that you, you honor, be honored in our time of fellowship as well. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, Thanks for listening to this sermon. We pray that you were built up and encouraged in your faith and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you'd like to know more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church, you can find us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca or you could write to us at redeeminggracebiblechurch at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you to answer any questions that you might have. God bless you.